CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not going to shout now. She's not going to shout. So get your headphones ready to hear what it's all about. No Fun, the Jen Kirkman Podcast, episode 391. I'm Jen Kirkman. I'm your host. I'm a comedian. You may know me from Chelsea Lately or Drunk History or my Netflix specials, I'm Gonna Die Alone and I Feel Fine, or the other one called Just Keep Living. I've also written two books. Why do I mention all that? Well, I love to brag, but the other reason is because this is a podcast. This isn't a comedy special where I've been going out on the road and perfecting what I'm going to say over and over and over and then delivering you those punchlines, bam, bam, bam. And this is not a book where I had an editor go, that's not a complete sentence. And I go, you fix it. This is a podcast where I just start talking unrehearsed, mostly unfiltered. By that, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a... Uh, out of my mind, I'm not going to start saying ridiculous things. I always feel like people who say they're unfiltered, they're, they're really just announcing that they're racist. Uh, so this is my podcast. Welcome to it. If you are new, this is an all listener email episode. So if you are new to the podcast and you want to hear more me telling longer stories about things or analyzing things I read in the news, you can start with any other episode. But every once in a while, I have so many listeners. Thank you all. Subscribe free wherever you get podcasts. And, and if you don't subscribe to the paid video Patreon version, if you're like, I can't afford it, um, which it's only five bucks a month. But listen, if you're like, hey, I can't afford it. Don't, don't, don't say that's only. That's a lot for me. I get it. But you, what you can do is give me a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to this on and write something nice about the show. And if you can't think of anything nice to write, if you are not good with words, you can write 
you're a dumb fuck if you don't listen to this show. I am not a dumb fuck. And you can spell it F-U-K if you don't like to put swears in writing. So there you go. That That's what you do if you want to watch the video version of this. Now, I will tell you right now, my video subscribers on this very episode, they just got a 20-minute bonus conversation where I talked straight to camera and told them about a really dumb thing I did last weekend that you guys don't get to see or know about. Because that is just for my paid subscribers. I always try to give them something extra. And they also get bonus audio episodes. Some subscribers, depending on how much you pay, get as many as five bonus episodes a month. So get on it. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. I am not on tour this year. This is literally my job. So I encourage you to pay my bills. I could really use my bills being paid. Couldn't we all? So this week... I've got listeners emailing me. If you ever want to email me, I seem fun at gmail.com. That is the email address for this show. If you don't want me to say your name on air, you just have to indicate that, preferably in the first sentence or so, or remind me again at the end of the email, and I won't. I never say last names, and I never say phone numbers, or, you know, some people have all that shit in their signature, which I don't understand, but if I'm emailing you, I don't want you to know my phone number, you know what I'm saying, or my address, and if I do, I'll type it in. Can't be going auto with that stuff. I mean, I'm not talking about if it's your business email, but like some people's personal email. I'm like, what are you doing with your cell phone number in there? Stop that. You want me to prank you? Because I'll prank you. I won't really. Um, I seem fun at gmail.com is where you send anything you want me to read on air. Do you want advice? Do you want to comment on a topic we've talked about? We have so many topics from the last uh, month of episodes where... You know, I had people write me, what do they think about UFOs? Do they have any, you know, stories about how much money they feel they would need to quit working for the rest of their life? Is there anything about their jobs that they fucking hate people say to them about? What is that? You know what I'm saying? You have a job and people go, oh, what do you do for a living? And you go this and people go, oh, and they say dumb shit. Uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. I'm just going to get right into it. I mean, no more messing around. So last week, let's just go, let's just work from there. I talked about UFOs and UAPs. And, you know, I go back and forth with what I think. Mostly I'm in the I can't comprehend it camp. It seems like there should be a really good explanation for this, for what these unidentified things are. I don't think they sound like things that... uh, are from Russia or China. They don't seem like just drones to me. And on the other spectrum, I can't comprehend how aliens would get here, what with there being, you know, these scientific things that get in the way, like it might have to involve time travel or I I, I just don't know. So I uh, asked you guys to weigh in. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And, uh, some of you wrote in. I, I only have a few emails on this one because I'm recording this episode uh, very soon after the alien episode came out. But Jen, I realize it is a great risk, but I want to tell you something that crazy Joe Rogan said about life on other planets. I like to live dangerously, LOL. I think what he means is he's risking telling me that he listens to Joe Rogan and me making fun of him. Joe has talked about this a lot over the years. Oh, I know. And so have I, by the way. I have always been talking about aliens. I'm just saying. Damn, I just realized I heard just about every one of his three-hour podcasts until 2020. That's 10 years. Yikes. I mean, I'm just saying. 
Joe theorizes that because there are so many galaxies, each containing a giant number of stars, totaling a nearly infinite amount. I think that it would be infinite, not nearly. But not only is there life, but there are also some a lot like us, and they're living just slightly different versions of ourselves somewhere. There are many, many Joe Rogans doing the same exact thing or close to it because of the near infinite possibilities that you would have to get the same results many, many times. I don't think this is how it works at all, but I thought you might find it interesting. The odds are high there's life. I agree, but who knows what form it would take? Maybe another star or sun creates HO2 instead of H2O, and who knows what that looks like? I liked your take on how the video recorded sightings are probably just advanced tech from an adversary. No, I didn't say that. Do you guys even listen to my podcast? You tell me all about what Joe Rogan says, word for word, and then you say the opposite of what I said. I do not in any way think that the UAPs are advanced tech from an adversary. I I think I don't understand how it would be if they are doing things that defy what a human could invent. I'm not necessarily saying it's aliens either. I'm sure some things that people have seen might be, I don't even, secret things from other governments may be. I did not say, oh my God, you guys, I love you all in your own special ways. Um, I want to throw in the idea that since they are low low res images, they were probably photoshopped. Fun stuff to think about. Okay, what I also said was that a lot of the low res stuff is because it's not meant to be a movie. And I had someone write me and they said they could, they did not want me to read it on air and to keep their name confidential, but they worked in the upper echelons of this kind of stuff. And they said, it's absolutely the case. When we are seeing these low-res images, it makes sense to the data analysts in the Navy who analyze them. Uh, They can tell it's something weird by something, something, the numbers that something. I said it in the last episode. Let me say this about Joe Rogan. Now, he is not the only one to say that there are many different versions of us all over the universe. This theory has been going around since he was, before he was fucking born. I have talked with my friends about this theory many times. And you know what? It's a theory I can't get with. Now, anything's possible and it would be fun. But I have a theory that I'm going to tell you, dear listener. You know who loves the idea that there are many galaxies containing other versions of us? Men. Specifically, famous men. This happened to me with Jack Black. In 2005, I was on a sketch show on VH1 called Acceptable TV. You did eight episodes. It was run by Dan Harmon, who went on to do Community. And Jack Black was his co-producer. And uh, this was kind of like Jack Black presents this show. Getting Jack Black on board is what got the show picked up. And Dan and Jack are old friends. So Jack did some sketches with us. Uh, I don't think they were actually part of the show. I think he did some promotional sketches with us. And I met him a few times by working with him. He was nice, but he's, uh, he doesn't feel like he's all there. And I don't mean all there like he seems like he's a little weird. He actually seems like he's somewhere else in his mind at all times. And he might be. I don't know. You don't get the feeling that you got to know him at all. And you don't get the feeling like, hey, we could, you know, we could be friends. Fine with me. I would, you know, I, I don't not, I don't care. But uh, we we were filming this sketch and, you know, uh, they were fixing the lighting or whatever. And so we're chit-chatting. And he looks at me and he says, do you think, you know, what do you think about space and aliens and all this? And I give my whatever my answer was back then. And he said, do you know there's a theory or do you think that 
right now on another planet, we could also be living this life there. It's like the mirror verse or whatever. And I go, well, I mean, I guess that sounds interesting, but since I can't tell that that's happening, it's not like if you go, Jen, right now on another planet, there's a you doing the same thing. I'd go, okay, well, I can't feel her. I can't feel that. I don't know. So great. Hope she's good. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, but if we have the same exact life, then I'm just going to focus on the one that I can actually tell that I'm living. But I looked at him and I said, does this interest you, that theory, because you want to also be famous on another planet? Because being famous on this one isn't filling that hole in the soul enough. I'm just fucking with him. And he just looked at me. He leaned back in his chair and his eyes went big. Not like I'd blown his mind, but more of like, you evil witch, <laughs> you saw through me. And I ruined the fun. I ruined the fun by calling out exactly what was going on in that psyche of his. And he was like, <laughs> so we're not surprised that yet another guy thinks that. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Jen. This is from Michael. He said he's seen a UFO. He even sent me pictures. Now, I don't know if it's a UFO. It's not anything normal I've seen. Very strange stuff. Jen, you can use my name as a longtime fan of all your work, podcasts, books, stand-up. Any chance I get to be exposed to your magnificent brain. <laughs> I was over the moon to hear you talk about aliens and UAPs. I have been obsessed since I was a kid. My dad made me watch the Christopher Walken made-for-TV adaptation of Whitley Stryber's Communion in the early 90s, and it's fucked me up about aliens ever since. If you haven't heard of it, and no, I haven't, Michael, it's based on a true story of a man's experiences being abducted. Constant childhood fears of being abducted and the terrifying trauma that goes with it. I've read tons of books and watched tons of documentaries on the subject over the years, some seeming very credible and others seeming insane. But it's always been a thing that's fascinated me. I have actually seen two UFOs in my life. Once was on my wedding day in 2014. I was in front of my house with my wife and some friends, and we saw some colored lights moving in total synchronicity across the sky. We all saw it, and we were like, uh, one of my friends is a pilot, and he said that was certainly not any aircraft that he was familiar with. Maybe it was drones. But in 2014, I don't think they were nearly as much of a thing. And the movement was way too fluid and intelligent, if that makes sense. It wigged us all out. The second time was in 2016 in the White Mountains in New Hampshire. My wife and I were driving through the very mountains that Betty and Barney Hill got taken uh, in back in the 50s. Oh, I love the story of Betty and Barney Hill, if anyone doesn't know. See, the Betty and Barney Hill story, though, they were an interracial couple. I think it was during the 60s, <clears throat> right smack in the middle of the civil rights movement. They were driving through New Hampshire, and uh, they claimed they were abducted. And I mean, they were not crazy people at all. Uh, I actually feel like it was the government fucking with them for being an interracial couple. Like, that's the one caveat in that story that I'm like, well, 
Uh, anyway, as we were driving, I saw a glowing orb hovering the sky, and then it rapidly plummeted into the woods. I began panicking, but didn't want to terrify my wife. When suddenly she goes, did you just see that? We both freaked out and floored it out of the mountains. As we sped away from the aliens, my wife had her camera with her and started taking pictures along the road in case we spotted anything else. We didn't check them until we got back to the hotel, but to this day, we can't figure out what the heck the light anomalies are in the attached pictures. It was a completely wooded mountainous region with no streetlights or anything else that could really cause a glow like that. There's probably a rational and scientific answer behind both my sightings, but it's way more fun to think it's aliens. Just thought I'd share with my hero. You're the best, Jen. Oh, well, I don't. We don't need another hero. <laughs> Sorry. All right, we will end this topic. Now, if these got you guys all believing, well, let's see what this person has to say. She says, UFOs can't exist. Jen, here are my thoughts. I'm a retired U.S. government engineer. I worked in the community that would have known what we knew about this stuff if we knew anything. If anything was known about extraterrestrials who had visited here, we are, as a society, no longer able to keep something like that hidden. Somebody would blab it out like Snowden. Heck, they would have had to tell Trump for fuck's sake. I mean, this is the one thing that keeps bringing me back. You don't think Trump would have babbled there's aliens? I mean, maybe they did something where they didn't tell him. But yeah, like, why wouldn't Snowden or the other one, Assange? I mean, I'll forget those guys because I have my issues with them, but Anyone, anyone. Why wouldn't anyone? Two, yes, the galaxy is big and the universe is big, so just getting here is a major, major problem. But okay, maybe they have some unknown-to-us way of beating the speed of light. But number three, but why come see us? We'd be way behind them technologically and likely have little to offer. Are we food? Nah. If they can come here, they can get food anywhere. We're not interesting and no fun put a trademark there next to it. Four, we've been intelligent on Earth for just a tiny fraction of the life of the galaxy and universe. A species could just as well have become intelligent a million years ago or a million years from now, and any species would likely have a relatively short lifetime, either using up resources, blowing themselves up, or any number of things before finding the probably elusive means to travel here. So the odds that another species exists right now and also has the tech to find us and to get here are extremely low, extraordinarily low. In the big picture, any civilization would be around for just a minuscule amount of time. For me, this is the kicker. So I think I get what you're saying, that it's almost insane that another species would be sentient and of age, I guess if you put it, to come visit us while we're here. That, that is the least convincing one to me because that's where my brain just goes, hey, it could be, yeah, life's crazy. Um, <clears throat> five, the, we, the only life we know of for sure is us, and that's because we are us. There's a logical term for that that I can't remember. For these and other reasons, I think the most likely explanation is that these phenomena are created by our people on Earth, likely unmanned if they're actual physical objects, with the accelerations observed. Simplest explanation is usually the correct explanation. So I'm sticking with this conclusion until I personally get probed. 
Can't wait for your anxiety podcast. I need it. I got the document you send out a while back and it helped. Thanks, sincerely, sincerely, Dana. Well, yeah, everybody stay tuned in August, the premiere ah, sorry, of my new podcast, Anxiety Bites, will come out. It will be twice a week, short episodes, 30 minutes each. Each week will be, it's basically the same episode, but in two parts. You know what I'm saying? So stay tuned for that. Follow me on Twitter at Jen Kirkman, J-E-N-K-I-R-K-M-A-N. And Instagram is the same exact handle as that. And you will get uh, the information when it's time. Or you can click the link in the show notes. There is one one of those tiny, uh, not tiny URL, one of those link tree links. And in that link, it'll take you to where you can subscribe to my newsletter, where you will get notified once it premieres. That link will take you to join my Patreon, buy my books, buy my albums, blah, blah, blah. It'll take you back to the archives if you want to listen to this show from the beginning, uh, back when it was called I Seem Fun and it started in 2013. That link will take you there too. It won't take you to the outer reaches of the universe. Hey, by the way, Boston, I want to let you know I am supporting the Greater Boston Food Bank the month of June. There is a new design in my merchandise store. It's called Having a No Fun Summer. It's really cute. Click the link in the bio. It'll take you to merchandise. And there are tank tops and tees and tote bags. And it's a little beach ball, you know, with a face and headphones on listening to the No Fun podcast, of course. And it's got this groovy kind of 70s writing. And, uh, you know, it's a really cute design. And uh, so all of the proceeds that I get to keep in the month of June go to the Greater Boston Area Food Bank. And to all of you who shopped in my merchandise store in uh, April and May, I combined those months. The grand total was a little lower than we've normally done. We usually do 1000 a month, but I think people are, I don't know, not shopping right now. But uh, I sent uh, about $275 to a food bank in Memphis and about 275 to a food bank in Seattle. So June... The entire enchilada will go to the Greater Boston Food Bank. So again, anything you buy in my merchandise store, I get a percentage of the sales. I do not keep a dime of it. It all goes to food banks. Uh, Somebody kind of wrote me uh, the return of small talk. So I talked about that now that we are, you know, getting back out there. Jen Amy from Austin here. I'd taken a break from all podcasts for a while, almost a year, but I jumped back into yours with the fashionism episode where you talk about the literal bane of my existence, small talk. When you asked if anyone else felt the same way, I had to write in and say, fuck yes. If there's one thing I've been grateful for the past 12 months, it's been the absence of this heinous ritual. I was laid off in May of 2020 and have been mainly taking classes in the interest of doing a professional pivot. So I haven't had any of the workplace BS, and other than a few words exchanged with my local barista and a stay safe to the cashier at the grocery store, I've avoided having to do any small talk at all. It's been fucking glorious. Like you, I loathe being asked, so any fun plans for the weekend or anything along those lines or the Monday morning, so what'd you do over the weekend? What's everyone's obsession with the weekend? Who fucking cares? (laughs) My experience of this, oh my God, I need to do like a weekend kind of merchandise. Like, never mind how my weekend was or who fucking cares how my weekend was or something like that. I don't care how your weekend was. Why do you care how my weekend was? I don't know. Something maybe shorter. 
My experience of this is mostly in the workplace, but it also happens during wax, hair, nails, appointments, even when I do my best to put on a don't talk to me face and bury myself in a magazine every fucking time. Anyway, just wanted to say, I a thousand percent agree with you and I am terrified of going back to quote normal or anything resembling that. Spending this much time away from people has really brought out my inner misanthropic recluse or recluse. And I just don't know if I'll be able to hold it together the next time someone asks me, so what do you have planned for today? As I'm just trying to get whatever mindless, annoying task accomplished and get on with my day. I wish we could collectively draw up a list of post-pandemic shit we're not going to do anymore. Needless to say, small talk would be at the top of my list. Thanks for being amazing. I'm happy to be a regular listener again. Thanks for coming back. I love that idea. A list of things. Maybe that's another topic for the podcast. Is there something that you guys are like, I am not doing this anymore. Um, I have changed over the pandemic. And I don't know whether it has anything to do with the pandemic. You know, just like you had enough time to think. And you're like, you know what? Going forward, no to this. Here's another one about small talk. Jen. Thanks for reading my unfortunately multiple essay emails regarding my pre-vaccine travel. Oh, this is us, Samarjeet. I know I said I went on that trip due to the increased isolation, but as per your small talk article reaction, it's not like I was fulfilled by the various nothing conversations with hospitality staff at the front desk, who I'm going to guess did not want to be there. Of course, while I'm sure that the article was, quote, true for people who are not me, I've always also hated the pre-scripted office version of small talk. It's just so incredibly impersonal and false and gross. And who is it for? Literally counting our breaths while walking in silence with such a person would be more rewarding for everyone involved, I think. (laughs) Sure. I mean, hey, why not? It's something. However, I was surprised that the article didn't address that while there is the absence of these meaningless conversations, that would also mean that there is an even larger dearth of spontaneous, real conversations. An older coworker who's the head of her department suddenly venting about how she never actually wanted kids but is now distraught about them leaving for college during impromptu drinks after work. The bartender at the movie theater excited that you're also going to see the latest superhero film because, no, really, it is slightly different than the others. Yes, all these conversations revolve around drinks, probably because that director probably isn't going to talk about her regrets and joys of child rearing at a brown bag work lunch. Anyway, thanks for all the fun. Well, I think the article that I read, and I don't remember the name of it, but I think it was purposefully about, yeah, we all know that we've missed out on deeper conversations, but even the little dumb things were like good for our brain, like little lifting a two pound weight here and there. But I know what you mean. There, There's also deep conversations you have with people you actually know. And then those accidental deep ones, you might get in with someone on a plane or something like that. I have a great story. It's in my book, I Know What I'm Doing in Other Lies I Tell Myself, where I was flying to Australia alone. The guy next to me had a fear of flying, and we just had this whole conversation, and I took care of him the whole flight. And normally, if you told me that was going to happen on the flight, I'd be like, I I need that not to happen. But it really did help. Uh, It helped me and my fear, and I think I helped him. Um, Jen, I agree with you about that small talk article. Small talk has just become such a robotic programmed routine in our daily lives. It's virtually lost all meaning. 
I think conversations with strangers would be far more interesting. Instead of asking how you doing or how's your day, start off with a fun fact. Did you know Beverly Hills Cop was originally set to star Sylvester Stallone or sales snails can sleep for three years? Crazy, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Oh my God, I love, bo- thank you for both of these fun facts. I didn't know them. I, of course, do not do this and thus am somewhat of a hypocrite. As introverted as I was becoming pre-pandemic, post-pandy, I found myself more withdrawn than ever. But I'd like to think if I was approached with some cool deets about Eddie Murphy films and mollusks, they would have my rapt attention. In any case, thanks so much for your Patreon podcast. They've made quarantines and lockdowns and whatnots a lot less of a bummer this past year. Be well, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Um, and now we come to the portion of the show where I give a shout out to my Patreon subscribers to the tune of Big Fun by Cool and the Gang. And again, if there was if this was a different world where I'm all about fun. I would have called this podcast Big Fun, and this could have been the theme song. But instead, let's have some fun honoring those of you paying your hard-earned money to have some fun. Woo! Woo! Carolyn Chow! Ow! You're one cool girl. And I thank you. Taryn Hurst. Wow. I mean, how do you do it? I don't know how you do it, but I thank you for doing what you do. Roseanne Irwin. Look at you, you rich bitch. You think you're better than me? You might be better than me, and thank you, Roseanne. Natasha Urkovic. I hope you have a great fucking day when you listen to this. I hope the minute you hear this, you realize... I'm pretty awesome. Thank you. Jeff Cialetti. I think I'm saying your name wrong. And I should know. I think I've said your name before on something, on the email or something. A beloved Patreon subscriber. Jeff. Jeff Cialetti. Thank you for being you. Jessica Poon. I hope you're having big fun in your life. You deserve it. Thank you. Joshua Harrison. You really got it going on in 2021. 2021 and Joshua Harrison is fun. Thank you. Michelle Hillary Whitaker. Look at you with three names. Oh, she's fancy. Thank you, Michelle. There we go. Those are my shout outs. Thanks for being here, everybody. And if you want a shout out, well, you got to join the Patreon and then you got to tell me you want one. There's a thread on there called, do you want a shout out? You just find it. You add your name to it. I check it regularly. Don't you worry. Okay. So I talked about in the episode called trip where, uh, or no, no, I, I talked about, uh, my doctor who would be like, act like my writing job was like a bad thing and like things weren't going well. So a bunch of you uh, wrote in about people who do that to your jobs. Somebody wrote, Jen, I have a good one along the lines of your job uh, about uh, your doctor. 
Can you keep me anonymous? Yes. I'm a makeup artist in New York City, and I work primarily on commercials and with corporate clients. I work with CEOs from major corporations, banks, you name it. For ads, it's all unknown commercial actors. The money is great. And it's what I've been working toward for 10 plus years. In a typical week, I'm jumping from an adult diaper commercial to a Dr. Scholl's ad to the president of a bank. I love what I do. Every time I meet someone and tell them what I do, I get the same question. Who's the biggest celebrity you've worked on? I don't really have any good answers. Some Olympic athletes and politicians maybe, but no one that's a real A-lister. When I explain what I do, they look at me like, oh, well, maybe someday I might just start lying. Yeah, I think that's the best thing. Just go, what do you what job do you want me to have? And tell and then I'll tell you that's what I do. When I was on the road and people would ask why I was in town, I would always say the, I would say I'm a legal assistant. And then I have a couple days off and I'm just visiting my friend who just recently moved with her husband to whatever town I was in and I'm just coming to their housewarming party. I mean, that is the most boring story. You could tell no offense to legal assistants, but people like when you're not, you know what I mean? When you're like, I have a set thing. Don't start suggesting things. <clears throat> I don't have some, you know, I'm not like, you know what I mean? I'm not part of a traveling circus. Nothing I say is going to interest you. So just give me the fucking room key. All right. Jen, I loved your fan mail episode. Nosy from May 5th. What really struck me was you talking about people telling you how fun your job is. And how you hate 80% of it. Well, I was talking about how the traveling on the road, the only fun part of the road is being on stage. Um, I'm a special ed teacher. And I hate when my friends say, oh, you have it so easy. All you do is play all day. I have friends calling me in the middle of the day just to talk. And they act shocked when I tell them I can't because I'm working. Recently, I snapped at a friend who said, I just play all day. I asked him, when you were in school, do you remember playing all day or were you bitching about reading, math, studying, tests, or having to stand up in front of the class and talk? What about the grading, lesson planning, meetings, parent-teacher conferences, and testing that I have to do outside of the regular school day? It's so frustrating. Thank you for allowing me and other span spans fans a space to vent. I've been a fan for years. I still can't thank you enough for being the extra push I needed to go to therapy. I can't wait to see you when you come to Brooklyn and New York City. I promise, or next time you come, I promise as soon as I get a better position, I'll be able to contribute to the Patreon. Nick from Long Island. Thank you, Nick. Don't worry about the Patreon, Nick, but you and all my podcast listeners get to know. I will be doing shows in Brooklyn December 1st through 4th this year. Those are my only shows on the road this year. Specifically picked Brooklyn because it's my favorite place to perform in America. I know I'm talking like Barack Obama. Tickets go on sale September 8th. Circle that day in Yaz's calendars. That's all the information I can give you for now. I mean, I think that's pretty good information. Mark all the dates. Um, oh, my God. There's so many topics here. Here's from another teacher, Jen. You can say my name. All right, Allison. Just finished listening to last week's comedy culture episode, and I can totally relate to people commenting on your job and saying, well, maybe one day you can be a... I am an elementary school music teacher, so I get it from people in two ways. 
There are the people who don't think teaching music is really teaching and who think what I do all day is like summer camp. Do you ever think about going back to school to become a real teacher, they ask? And then there are the many, many people who think that teaching elementary school is somehow subpar or requires fewer skills than teaching middle or high school. Never mind the fact that the salary is the same and that I have the same degree as a secondary school music teacher. I always hear, when do you think you'll be ready to teach middle or high school? Um, I've been doing this for 19 years, and I train other teachers every summer and throughout the year on how to do what I do. I even helped write the damn curriculum for my district, which is one of the largest in the country. I'm good, thanks. Besides, I'd like to see those people try to teach 500-plus kids a week from ages 3 to 11, 11, including many kids with special needs and English language barriers. Sorry if I'm sounding a bit triggered, but you hit a nerve. And I totally relate to the rock scientist who gets asked when they would study mountains. That's an example I made up. Just keep living and fuck all those haters. Thanks, Allison. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Listen, if you guys want to get triggered and fucking write to the show and vent, I mean, do it. I, I love it. Sometimes when I'm just like, I don't really have a mood, I like when you guys are all fired up. Here's something different. Jen, I was wondering if you could help me. Since the COVID shit, I have gotten used to not having people over to my house. I really seem to like it, though. I am really uncomfortable with letting people, even people I know, come in my house. This did not used to be the way I am. Even a new boyfriend has not been allowed in my house. We started hanging out before the COVID shit, and it's been like over a year and a half, and I still don't even want him in my space. He thinks it's something he's doing, but it's not. I am just really uncomfortable having anybody over. Should I seek professional counseling to examine this new concept of self? Or should I just let him come over and bear the uncomfortableness? Maybe the uncomfortableness will go away. But I'm scared it might get worse and I'll have to ask him to leave. So dear Jen, any advice? I want you to know that I used to ask my daughter why she does not want children. But after listening to you, I had to apologize to her. And it was because of you. Thank you. Aw, sincerely, Becky. Becky, I don't know what's happened since you sent this email. Let me tell you this one thing. A lot of times we are scared if we do something that we're afraid of that the fear will get worse. In fact, it's the opposite. You will continue to get more comfortable not having your boyfriend over. This is eventually going to build resentment in him. If you are, if you can be completely sure, like I get what you're saying that this is COVID based. I get it. But, you know, sometimes two things can be going on at once. So if you can be completely sure that this isn't subtly anything to do with like not being that into him. And it really is just a post-COVID thing. And you're kind of stuck in this almost just like, I don't know what it is. I don't want anyone over and it's just easier. And I don't want to do it. And I'm uncomfortable and I don't want to be uncomfortable. So here's the thing. You're uncomfortable now. Does that make sense? You think you're comfortable because you're not taking the risk of having him over. Uh, So you're not comfortable. This is what I want to tell everyone. Anyone in an uncomfortable situation that is afraid to take a risk, You are comfortable 
right now, not because it is comfortable where you are, but because you are comfortable in this uncomfortable situation. This kind of uncomfortable, you know how to deal with. You know how to deal with knowing it's weird in a weird way that you're not letting him over, knowing you might be hurting him, knowing that you have to keep having discussions with him. What's going on? No, it's not you. You're writing into the podcast to, to get some advice. You know, wondering if you should go to therapy. That sounds very uncomfortable. None of that sounds fun or comfortable or easy or simple, right? And so you don't want to make a change because you think you might feel uncomfortable. Let me tell you, it's the opposite. You're going to funnel all of your uncomfortableness. Like this, not letting him over is causing so many offshoot issues. That if you just let him over and feel uncomfortable while it's happening, you will get used to it each and every time and let him in on it. You know, don't try to like be a hero and quote man up and say, honey, I want you to come over. This is so wild, but I am so uncomfortable. Would you mind if you come over and, you know, we just rent a movie and maybe get some food, but would you mind if... I have some like some somehow can we create some emotional space for me to keep wondering how I'm feeling and talk to you about it. And, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be a sleepover that night or maybe maybe you'll need a day after he comes over to see how you actually felt if it takes you a few days or to, to feel your feelings. We don't always know how we feel in the moment. So that's what I would say is it's like me with the fear of flying. I mean, there was no magic therapy session I had that made me get better at flying. I had to start flying all the time. And it was so uncomfortable every single time until it wasn't. So I, I would say that, um, I mean, I know I'm right here. I just, how you do it is up to you. And, and if you want to go to therapy, then it, it should be for them to give you some tips on how to navigate through it with your partner. Maybe even couples therapy. This sounds like something you guys need to do together or to bring him in on so that he can help support you and so that you can show him you really do love him and this isn't personal. Those are my thoughts. Okay, millionaire math. I asked you guys, what would it take? For me, I want 30 million to stop working. Now, do I think I'm going to make 30 million between now and when I'm 100? No. <laughs> but in my fantasy, if you gave me 30 million, I could comfortably never worry about money again. And, and no, 29 million, it, too stressful, not enough money. I don't know why. That's just my math. Jen, I'm 45 and I'm honestly not sure what my magic money number is. The best I can come up with would be 50 million. I'm not someone who enjoys or even really cares about all the fancy stuff. I'm not a rich bitch. I would probably just end up spending the money on simple stuff for me and my close family and friends. New car, new house, not a mansion. Donate to certain charities that I support. Other than that, I would for sure travel to places that I would love to see. Australia, Iceland, France. Even if I live for another 40 years, I could live off that. <laughs> And of course, I'd continue to be one of your Patreons. Jeff. I love it. Jen, I'm almost 51 and 30 million is definitely not enough. I remember thinking as a kid, you know what that means at this age, right? 25 to 30 year old are kids to me now, that if only I had $1 million. Now I realize that everything is so expensive, especially in Southern California, that unless you find an accountant that is one, brilliant, and two, won't rob you blind, you need a minimum of one to two million a year to retire comfortably. Example, I own a small business. The minute someone hears small business owner, especially one that has been running for more than a dozen years, they think you've made it. You can choose your own hours. Sure, if you mean I can choose to show up at 6 a.m. and go home at a decent hour or sleep and get home at midnight. That Reagan era saying, are you better now than four years ago? Sure I am. But then 14 years ago? Fuck no. 
What would I do with it, though? I don't know. I suppose $2 million is enough to have a small home in my favorite place, Boulder, Colorado, for six or eight months out of the year, and then come back to L.A. for the snow months. But to hold on to a place here and then to only live in it for four months out of the year, I am quite sure that even $2 million is not enough. Of course, I think I knew I'd never be rich when I chose my profession. I own a comic book shop, Galaxy of Comics, which, by the way, if you're ever in Van Nuys, come by. I'll set you up with the best comics, even if you've never read a comic. And there are tons of non-superhero kinds of comics in every genre. Oh, I love you, but everyone's been trying my whole life to get me into comics. And I know there's not just superhero ones. It's so not my thing. But if I ever come in, I'll give you a high five. Um, And everybody... Go to that. Go to Galaxy of Comics. I'm finally a patron, and I have to apologize for doing it so so late. You're right. We need to support the people we love. That's okay. Enjoy. I hope you do get your thirty million. Maybe someday someone will come come to the store, and they'll they'll slip you a comic, and they'll say you have to read this, and then they'll run out, and you'll open the comic, and it'll be thirty million dollars in cash, and that person will have just given you that money. I'm just saying. Jen, if you need to find a bag of money and not work again, what's the amount you'll need at your age to feel secure was your question. This is a loaded question, Jen, and I'm very much determined by where I'd be living. Since moving to the Los Angeles three years ago, I find money consistently giving me panic attacks. If I were to stay here, this bag of money would likely need to be a minimum of $2 million tax-free, $3 million if taxed. And that amount would literally just pay for my house and allow me to live comfortably and pay my bills, enjoy time out, and some travel for what may be the rest of my life. I turn 41 in about a week. That's not enough money to tell you that right now. (laughs) You're only 41? Come on. I want you traveling first class. If we took staying in California out of the equation, it could easily be half that. I could never, I could move back to Illinois to my oh shit house, a place I own and rent but keep in case I ever majorly fuck up or if life decides to fuck me and live comfortably. I think about this often. Future planning and as an adult, for a future that you may or may not have, sucks. Melanie. Okay. Uh, Hey, we have an update. There was, I mean, this is months old. There was a woman that wanted to know how to make friends in a red state, and then we had some listeners write in, and some people were like, I don't even like the term red state. But, um... She has given us an update on uh, how she is doing. Um, sorry, I'm running late to something I just realized, which really sucks because. <laughs> okay. Jen, writing to you to say how it's going making friends. Not awesome, but I'm still trying. I've got a group on Meetup called Finally Laughing, F-I-N-E-L-Y, where I post several events in my area every month. Everyone who has joined is an hour away from me in Grand Rapids, and none of them have come to any of the events I've posted yet. Here's to hoping that changes. Well, you know, you wrote me a little while ago, and I bet it will after everyone's vaccinated. I've been looking for events out their way as well. There's 12 members so far. I did a Zoom call event with uh, Meetup. One woman showed up and we have texted a few times since then. She's about 45 minutes from me. I did say if either of us can find an event closer to her, I don't mind driving her away. I did join the Democrats of Michigan events, uh, things like someone suggested. Not a lot going on yet due to COVID, but I get the updates. Everything they do is about an hour away as well. But again, I'm not unwilling to drive that way if something came up. 
I tried Friender, which is an app, but I quickly lost faith in that. I suppose I could try the Bumble BFF app and see how that goes. I volunteered a few weeks ago at a COVID-19 vaccine site in my city. That was sort of cool. As it slowed down, I sat and chatted with a woman for a while who worked for the health department. The coolest part about it was I was able to see my instincts in action for the first time since my toxic relationship. This is important for my healing, as I finally realized he was actually a sociopath and tearing apart my sense of self and my gut instincts. I liked your advice of thinking it's all coming to me rather than I'm lacking in friendships. I'm definitely still trying to put my energy out there and see what comes back. I'm not going to lie. It does get a little frustrating at times. That's all right. But there are also moments when I need the weekends to continue my recovery as I'm reading and doing workbooks to help aid in that. It's only been a month or so since I really started this new friend process. I'm going to try to continue going to events, even if I have to go alone and try to make friends at the events. Oh, absolutely. I think this a month is amazing with all you've listed that you've done already. Incredible. Um, I la- uh, Okay. I also wanted to add that I did make one new friend last fall. She's a client of mine, but we always get along so well. So I was telling her how I was looking to make friends, and she said, I'll be your friend. So I'm not super patheticsville over here, but like everyone else I've shared with you, she lives an hour away from me. So it's not super easy to expect that we can just go out together on a whim. I see her more at my place of work than outside of it, but I'm able to chat with her a little bit every week. That's something, right? Oh my God, sorry this email's so long. I'm trying, I'm going to things, I'm planning things, and thanks to you and everyone who has written in about it, it will come. Um, love, Megan. Megan, it will, and I love that the community of no fun listeners are there for you. And that's why I love these listener emails. I didn't fucking realize how many emails I had Oh my God. Jen, kudos. What I appreciate most about the podcast is your honesty. I'm a male in my 40s and I didn't realize comedy and the business of comedy and entertainment was so cruel towards women, LGBTQ or minorities. Your podcast episode, Comedy Culture Rant, was really a through the looking glass moment for me. Thank you, Omar. People telling me what they do when they listen to the podcast. Jen, usually I'm driving or in the shower or doing dishes. This week I was at work making a miniature houseplant. I'm an art director on a stop motion TV show at the moment. And uh, this woman sent a really cool picture of a miniature houseplant. And I'm just, I'm so happy that anyone is doing something creative like that while they listen. Um. Okay. This is from Jeff. He said, you played Don Ho on episode 387, and it reminded me of crossing paths with him once. At the end of 1979, I had just turned 13, and my family went on a vacation to Oahu, Hawaii. While there, we went to Mr. Ho's big live Christmas show performance. Oh, my God, that sounds so fun. I'm so jealous. During it, he asked all the kids under 13 or 14 to come onto the stage to sing a song with him. My folks talked me into it. Well, we sang whatever song it was, and then as the kids single-filed it off the stage, he had us all go by him and kiss his cheek. Mm. Claimed it was a Hawaiian tradition. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to him, and I said I'd rather not, and he kind of insisted, oh, just a little kiss on the cheek, Jeff. 
Okay, Don Ho, well, as I leaned into his spittle-laced cheek as fast as lightning, he spun his head to me and laid a huge, wet kiss right on my lips. Sadly, that's the most laughter and applause I'd ever received on all the stages I've stood on since. I did find it odd that I was the only one he did that to. Huh. Glad I'm on board with you now and you bring lots of joy my way on the Patreon. Okay, Jeff, you were molested by Don Ho. I mean, oh, I want kids under 13 and 14. Uh, you know what I mean? I am really sorry that you were, that he was so into you. I mean, that is, and the audience laughing. Ha ha, it's the 70s. We don't recognize molestation when we see it. This is from Shell. She says, I just want to write and say that uh, I found your comedy after you were on In Bed with Joan Rivers all those years ago. Loved loved that you had a book about people's attitudes to child-free right choice people. Promptly bought it. Became a fan. Seen you when you toured London. Listened to the podcast weekly. I'm a Patreon. And like others, I usually listen to your podcast when I'm cleaning or gardening. This is not much of an email, just to say hello from one of your UK-based listeners, and the podcast has been a source of joy to listen to during lockdown, which has still been a year on and off for us in the UK. Well, I hope you are less locked down. I hope you are safe. And since it's Pride Month, somebody just wrote this to me. He's just telling me a story. Sometimes you guys want to write in and tell me... uh, Stories, I think this one's kind of heartwarming. Jen, I hope this message finds you well. I want to share a story for you. I want to share a story with you. And thank you for your humor, which definitely helped me escape my too real reality recently. I'm currently still resting and recovering from last week, which ended up being one of the most stressful and anxiety-ridden yet cathartic and beautiful weeks of my life. It's a pretty long story, so I apologize in advance. I want to preface this story with a quick bit of a backstory. A few months ago, after not having spoken to my younger sibling in a long time, they called me to catch up and wanted to share something with me. After a wonderful three-hour conversation, they came out to me as a transgender woman, and I couldn't be happier or more supportive that my sister has fully embraced who she is and wants to leave the rest of her life, lead the rest of her life as her authentic self. Cut to last week. My mom and I went to Texas to visit my older brother, his wife, and my two nieces, the younger of which was having a birthday. While I was very excited to have the family together and bond with my nieces, the universe had other plans in store. The first several days of being there were rife with discussions, laden with transphobia, and ill remarks about Elliot Page, the rejection of, quote, woke culture, and how they-them pronouns are just people going too far and everyone wanting to feel special. Not to mention, my younger sibling, and perhaps an act of easing them into her identity, had only shared up to that point with them that she was now feeling comfortable using she, her pronouns, but nothing else. And my family just couldn't grasp why anyone would feel compelled to do this. As someone who has suffered with depression and anxiety their whole life and is not currently in treatment or on medication, it was incredibly uncomfortable for days on end. This resulted in feeling the heavy weight of anxiety on my chest from waking up to bedtime, total lack of appetite, and just no hope of a good sleep or rest on the near horizon. After a few days, my mom's wife joined us for my niece's birthday, and while better than the first few days, more uncomfortable conversations and language followed. 
Of course, I tried my best to educate my family and offer more empathetic points of view, all with my sister in mind, but I mostly felt heard, but not really listened to. At this point, we're finally at the weekend and the last couple of days of the visit. I'm not going to lie up until that point. I felt like I was living in hell and couldn't wait to get out of there. But then everything started to shift and change. The reasons for all of the discomfort came to the forefront. And this is where an unexpected blessing manifested. On just that Saturday alone, I was able to sit down with my older brother and have a conversation about bigoted bigoted language he has always used that has bothered me for years, but never felt I would be taken to heart if discussed. My brother not only listened, he heard me. He hugged me at the end of it, and I felt such a weight lifted. That evening, after some more uncomfortable events and prompted by the sudden news that my mom and wife are moving out of the country soon, I sent down my mom and told her all the worries I had about her relationship. I'm worried for her well-being. Blah, blah, blah. We cried. We hugged. She thanked me for speaking so lovingly. Again, this is all years in the making. And finally, on Sunday, I got to hear my sister come out to my mom, brother, and their respective spouses. It was a long, beautiful conversation of love, acceptance, and freedom that was so totally necessary and wanted. Uh, Sorry, I lost my place. Okay, even though I felt completely physically and emotionally drained by it all, I'm still catching up on sleep. I'm so thankful for how things worked out has given me a renewed sense of positivity and self. Things sadly lacking since the pandemic began and even before that. Truthfully, I feel ready now more than ever to get back to therapy, get help and grow as an individual and with my family. I love it. Listening to your comedy and your podcast was one of the few things that brought me levity in the past week and a half. And I'm so grateful to you for not only the laughter, talking about anxiety and mental health so openly. I'm excited for your new podcast and anything else you have in the works. I also finally signed up for your Patreon. So stoked to dive into that as well. Thank you for doing what you do. And happy Pride Month to everybody. Sincerely, Michael. You're so welcome, everyone out there. Happy Pride Month to you. Uh, I don't really have any further thoughts as I don't know what y'all are doing. (laughs) It's an old straight lady over here. But uh, enjoy whatever goes on this month. Parades. Safety, love, and laughter. Um, wow, I uh, forgot that I had a meeting. And uh, although this episode's been almost an hour, I have 30 more emails to read. I mean, I guess I couldn't have gotten them all done this week anyway. But that's checking in with, you know, all y'alls. Okay, I know it sounded like I was signing off there. And I did actually sign off. And then I edited out the sign off. Or my producer did. But I realized, well, I had a meeting to go to. But I can always just finish the episode later. And so you, you, this is like a little add-on bonus. We, we gave you uh, almost an hour episode, but I've got so many more listener emails to get to. Let's just have one big, long episode. And for the Patreon subscribers, yes. This part won't be on video, but you'll have had an hour video episode already. And, and a bonus of being a Patreon subscriber is that you get the episode five days earlier. So whatever. This part's not on video for anybody, but who cares? Okay, so we had that last beautiful email from a listener who had uh, good times with his family. He's going to get into therapy. We love this. As you know, I've asked people to uh, tell me where are they when they listen to my podcast just because I'm nosy. 
I said, you can even just write me a sentence and say, I listen when I'm hiking in the mountains. And uh, so someone wrote in, he would like to be anonymous or she, and said, in a recent episode, you said you like hearing where we listened to the podcast. And that response could only be a sentence. Well, I can't do anything in only a sentence. I enjoy having your podcast on while working late. When no one is in the office, I turn it on. I frequently find, since I'm concentrating on work and not paying attention to what you are saying, I have to go back and have had to re-listen to entire podcasts. Since joining your Patreon in March, I have worked a lot of hours and have listened to all the podcasts posted on Patreon, all the bonus material at my level, and many of the other posts. I chuckle every time you refer to yourself as old or don't recognize the names of the people in the articles you read as one of the... I don't think that's true. When did I not recognize someone's name? I mean, you know, I may not be a boomer, but I grew up with parents from the silent generation, pretty well educated on many things, not my generation, which is the hallmark of what a Gen X is. I take offense to this. You tell me what name I didn't recognize. As one of the younger boomers, I know that I have about a decade and a half on you. And I am not in your target audience. Let's see, I don't know, where are you getting that from? I don't have a target audience. This is my audience. People who will come to my shows, buy my work. I am not trying to speak. See, I, you know, I didn't get into the, now I'm getting all fired up at the listener emails. I'm not mad at this email. But I just, I know people, look, I'm not a, I'm not a product. I'm not a mop. I'm not a tampon. I'm not a, a wrench. I'm not a, a, a belt. You know, I don't have a target audience. Like, oh, this is great for people who menstruate, or this is great for men over the age of 40. You know, I, I perform on the road, and my audience is healthily, every crowd, anywhere from a teenager that has come with their mom to people in their 60s. I even had people in their 80s at my shows. My shows are across the board, older audiences. And I literally have no target audience except people who relate to what I'm saying or even relate in the way that they may not have my same life experience, but they understand, I don't know, some of the bigger concepts I'm putting out there that are kind of overarching. And people who are literally willing to pay for my Patreon or subscribe to the podcast the audience I never want to target are people who just enjoy trolling me on Twitter and just hanging around and saying creepy, ask me out things. Otherwise, my target audience, see, I'm not a marketer, so I don't I don't begin my art form with a target audience in mind. I'm just me. And I don't feel whatever age I'm supposed to feel. I don't do everything from the point of view, I am a woman. I just am me. Like I just as I said in one of my specials, I'm just a soul trapped in a body. So I speak, whoever relates, I get such a fucking kick out of it. So listen to me, boomer. You, you with your target audience and all your boomer energy. See, I'm Gen X. I'm, I'm, I'm not sitting here fucking, you know, going over the spreadsheets. going, What's my target audience? I wouldn't know how to. And that's not how it works. You find out what you're, you put out your art and then you can get, literally, there are companies that do this for you. I've had this done. You can get reports that tell you who your audience is. But I don't, I, I would not know how to target an audience or even hope. Because for me, it's just, I need to make a living. 
So I'm not like, oh, I only want to speak to younger people. You've heard the podcast. I'm always making fun of younger people. So now I got to give you a little boomer shit because you're, 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 you're boomering it up right now. Um, other than that, I'm willing to pay for Patreon. So if you aren't familiar with the folks you mentioned, I don't have a clue. Oh, maybe you don't think I recognize names of people in the articles I read because they're younger than me. I, th- I That's what you mean. I thought you meant I... Okay, got it. Yeah. Well, I don't think I'm old. I, I'm, I, I'm joking when I say that. I'm getting... A, I'm having a lot of friction with this boomer email, and I'm not even mad. But I'm just like... When I say I'm old, I'm joking. I'm saying it from the point of view of someone who's 20. Because I'm 27 years older than a 20-year-old that could be their mother. When you're young, you're like, oh my God, that's so old. I'm, I don't actually think I'm old. My parents are 83. I'm, like, I'm finally willing to go... They're old. I actually like if someone I if someone's 70, I'm like, oh, that's young. So come on, boomer. Get with that. With it. <laughs> uh, you've given me things to think about, particularly when you talk about how men act with women. It is making me more aware. Oh, this is a man. Oh, I got it. So even though I am old, don't recognize the music and probably miss a number of the references you make. I will continue to listen. See, there you go. Keep doing what you're doing. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. See, the thing is, older people have good senses of humor, 40 and above. Because we grew up in a generation, whether you're a boomer, and I'm I'm giving you a lot of shit, but I'm being funny. Boomer, silent generation, Gen X. Gen X is the last generation that had this, where whatever's on TV is what's fucking on TV. And you don't get to binge watch something and you got to wait an entire summer to see what happens on a cliffhanger of 90210 or whatever. What's on the radio is what's on the radio. You're not always catered to. And when you live a life like that, you start to relate with a lot of different things. You start to be able to see a lot more points of view and you kind of take yourself less seriously in a way. And so you're able to sit in the crowd of a comedian who might not be talking about anything that you currently experience, but there's something there. The magic of that art form, that person is relating with you on some level you can't define. I find very few younger people in my audience because of that reason. A lot of younger people that like me, they go, I also don't want kids. I also feel weird about my generation, blah, blah, blah. Older people are like, ah, I don't know what you're saying, but ha ha, that's funny. I, I started noticing this shift in comedy about t- 2005 when um, I was in my early 30s and people in their early 20s started coming to shows and I was no longer the person in my early 20s. And if, the, if you didn't talk about exactly what they knew about or cared about, you weren't getting a laugh. And I was like, oh, Lord, 
did I pick the wrong career? This is going to get harder. And then it got easier. Something happened. But the, um, the, the people that are now the 40-year-old millennials or the 38-year-old millennials, you were terrible audience members at 20. You were all dicks. It was like, I don't know what you're saying. It's like, well, you should know. You don't know what a tape deck is. You know, I mean, it was like there was this five-year period at Operate Citizens Brigade Theater in L.A. where a bunch of us comics that we didn't even think we were old yet. We were in our 30s. We're like 20-year-olds to hate us. Like we, it was, you guys have changed now that the Gen Z people hate you. And I told you that was going to happen. And you all laughed at me and said, no. Like I literally remember yelling at millennials in the audience like, you guys are young now, but when you're in your late 30s, there's going to be a younger generation that doesn't like you. And literally, you guys were like, not going to happen to us. And I was like, oh, Lordy, wait till that happens. Anyway, sir, boomer man, thank you for being on my Patreon. I now know what you mean. I got, I got frictiony on that. Okay. Jen, my eight-year-old daughter has announced that she wants to be a comedian. Oh, God. I hope comedy is different by the time she gets into it. I, hope, I don't know. Sure. Let her do whatever, but mm. her opener is, have any of you had a bowl of rotten eggs? <laughs> okay. And she's still working out something with chicken butt. Well, I, I'm sure her comedy will mature as she gets older. Um, I flew a lot growing up from the time I was six months old, so you would think I would have had enough exposure to habituate to it, but starting around third grade, I got really scared of it. On and off since then, I've alternated between being okay with it and terrified of it. I've never known much about astrology, but I have a friend who is really into it and did my chart. Turns out I'm all earth signs. My sun, moon, and ascendant. So she said, maybe that's why you hate being up in the air. I need to travel for work, less so because of COVID, but still, so I asked my doctor for Xanax. I decided to try one so I knew what to expect before the flight. I took it and threw up. Didn't feel calmer, so maybe I need to try Clonopin anyway. No idea if this is any of any interest to you, but you're the only person I feel like telling. Please don't use my name. I love when you guys tell me your secrets. Well, you know, I don't know why the Xanax made you throw up. Uh, I have a pretty strong reaction to codeine. Like if, if I have a surgery where they have to give me a ton of codeine, I'm like, I'm going to throw up. You know, um, maybe it had something to do with you take it on an empty stomach. Did you this? Did you that? What, what was the other factors? Um, it's not normally a side effect. Uh Every body, and I literally mean body, is different. I've tried um, lorazepam and Xanax, and and those just didn't wrestle my panic on a plane. They they gave me this overall tired feeling, but I could still feel my body panicking and my head panicking and feeling like I was going to just go insane and explode and feelings of unreality, as they call it, and Clonopin is the only drug for me that in specific to a panic attack, it actually goes in and stops that intense physical overwhelm. It doesn't cover it up and just make me tired. So I don't know, but that's my body chemistry. It could be totally different for someone else. But, you know, a fear of flying is not something we can just go, oh, well, I'm going to take this and it's going to be gone. It's like you take the Clonopin or the Xanax or whatever in order to be a little more comfortable when you fly. Doesn't solve it. You know, um, you still have to do some cognitive behavior therapy exercises around flying. 
and and some real world exercises. Don't have coffee that day. Make sure you get to the airport in plenty of time. Don't add any extra stress. You know, uh, listen to podcasts or read books that soothe you while on the flight. You might want to also do some breathing exercises, some meditation. Find a medication that you can take that complements all of this. I mean, it's, you know, it's a commitment to feeling better. And I think a lot of people think that they're committed to feeling better, but what they really want is the problem to just go away and they want to try one thing and if it doesn't work, they're like, fuck. And it's like, you got to really look at yourself and go, am I really committed to feeling better or do I just really not believe that I can get better? Because I I can just see it. I see it a a mile away in people, you know? So you got to decide, how comfortable do I want to feel on planes? You want to feel more comfortable? You can do a little more work. It's got to be consistent. You can't worry about you used to be comfortable. You should have habituated. Nah. If your flying comes anytime, comes comes into our life at any time for any reason, and uh, it's a it's about putting out the fire right now, and then you can go back and look at the electrical system of the house and how the fire start. But you don't figure out how the fire started when you need to put it out. You put it out, and then you can go back and go. I wonder what happened when I was in third grade when I suddenly got scared. Maybe that has some information for you that would be helpful on your journey in life. You know. But uh, there's no should or should have, especially if you started to develop a fear of flying and then every time you flew, you were more scared. It's because you were scaring yourself every time you were flying. You were building the habit of being afraid of flying. And then I had to unbuild that habit by flying, making myself as comfortable as possible until every flight got a little more comfortable, a little more comfortable. And now I am in the habit of not having a fear of flying. It still comes up that I might panic on a plane but that's okay. I have, you know, panic disorder. Sometimes it happens. But so there you go. That's my advice. Uh, Jen, I wanted to let you know how you helped a family this week. You don't know them. I don't either. A new friend I met in a meditation group got a call last Sunday from her brother in Denver. His wife had fallen, broken her shoulder. Then a few hours later, stopped breathing, heart stopped. This is all I heard from my friend. She was quickly booking a flight from Sacramento to Denver. Her sister-in-law died within the day. This new friend, Sandy and I, have had coffee together twice, i.e. don't know one another well. During those two meetings, I had shared a loving stand-up and, of course, mentioned seeing you New Year's 2020. I didn't... Oh, yeah, I did. I was like, I've never performed on New Year's. I performed in Sacramento. Um... January 3rd, 4th, and 5th of 2020. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that wasn't me. It must have been those shows. Yeah, you're signing your book uh, after I'd said how I especially loved the 10-minute first bit of Just Keep Living, your special on meditation, and then recognize that you did meditate because you were so great at the small details making the piece brilliant. So you signed Keep Meditating, Motherfucker. Perfect. Also, I showed Sandy a photo of the meditation pillow of your design, gifted to me by my son. Sandy messaged me yesterday on Friday, still at her brother's in Denver. Larry and I watched Jen Kirkman just keep living, and my brother and I laughed and laughed. He loved her. Perhaps it's all true. We are all one. Separation and illusion. Namaste, Patrick. Oh, it's so nice. I love to hear that. Thank you for passing on the good word. And that's all you got to do is say, I enjoy this. If someone wants to look into it, they'll look into it, you know. Um, perhaps we are all one. 
I mean, it's so true, we are. Man, what an all one we all are. Pain, you're all, we're all a pain in each other's ass. Okay. This person wants to be anonymous. They, they want to talk about how they don't like reality show competitions and they often wonder, are they bored or depressed? Jen, I really enjoyed your listener email episode. And listen, you don't have to know much about Drag Race to be the beloved gay icon you deserve to be and are with so many of us. Thank you. Happy Pride Month. Uh, I am super with you when it comes to reality show competition in general. The Food Network was ruined for me because they used to have delightful cooking shows and fun mini documentary shows about food and where it comes from and all those things. But now it's all chopped cupcake wars, holiday baking smackdown, the next Food Network star, and so many more. And even the cooking shows themselves are hosted by big personality types. So audience members either love them or love to hate them. Anyone that can compete in the attention economy. I love the breezy style of Barefoot Contessa and her occasional so-perfect-there-campy Hamptons guests. I can also appreciate the pioneer woman and her calm nonchalance and mildly cheesy humor. Everything else on there isn't for me. He continues with boredom and or depression. I'm one of those people who get bored. However, I recently realized how much for me, how I define boredom is closely related to depression. I currently take meds for depression. When I feel bored, it's not that there's nothing to do. Far from it. It's just that I don't feel like doing anything. And that feels really bad. I've realized that when I start to feel bored, I feel lethargic. I want to sleep. Sounds a lot like depression, right? It's not long before I will get really irritated and super judgmental with myself for being bored and feeling tired. It all kind of feeds on itself. When I think to myself, I'm bored, I actually mean I don't want to do anything, even though there are many things I need to do and normally would want to do. It's tiredness mixed with some sadness. Based on what you read last week, maybe this is languishing? But this is something I've always struggled with even before the pandemic, so I'm not sure. Anyway, my next step is to prepare a boredom emergency kit. And I don't mean a list of things I need to do or normally want to do, although I might include that too. Instead, it will include various reminders such as what's important to me in life? What do I value most in life? Self-affirmations. He's not answering that self-affirmations. This is another thing. Number three, self-affirmations. Number four, reminders not to fall into self-hatred. And five, reminders that feeling bored is not bad. It's just human and I still have choices. Really, it should include anything to help me break that downward spiral of self-loathing, which seems to be a really big problem for me. That sounds a little dark, but unfortunately, it's a real struggle. As always, thanks for the podcast and all the work you put into making your podcast awesome. I love it. Oh, listen, it does sound a little dark, I guess, but I don't find it that dark. You know, I relate. I get it. And I love the idea of a boredom emergency kit that isn't a puzzle, you know, um, a video game, a book. I love this. I'm going to reread it. So if everyone made a boredom emergency kit, you know, uh, you would put in it various reminders such as A, what's important to you in life? B, what do you value most in life? C, some self-affirmations. D, some reminders not to fall into self-hatred. And five, reminders that feeling bored is not bad. It's just human. So if all of you want to email me, even if you've never done one, like what would you put in your boredom emergency kit? And hey, maybe you'll make one after that. I love that idea. Thank you. That That's inspired me. 
Jen, I, I knit while I listen to the show. This this person says, fun episode. I always enjoy hearing. I mean, it has been, I have so many emails pulled up. I don't know what episode she's talking about, but who cares? I have, uh, what do I do when I'm listening to the episode? These days, I'm usually knitting a hobby I took up only a couple of months ago. Your podcast is the perfect thing. So quite literally, you have me in stitches every time. Wink, wink. We're allowed to make bad puns here, right? This isn't the no pun podcast, Heather. Oh, I love bad puns. And first of all, I don't even think there's such a, a, a thing as a bad pun. That pun was incredible. Incredible, Heather. Um, this is more about uh, people who want to, you know, how much money would they need to just never work again? Jen, we're two married lawyers in our early 50s, child-free, longtime fans who just discovered your podcast. All we need is $3 million in non-retirement funds and enough in retirement funds, so it will be $3 million when we hit 70. Good Lord. If we had $30 million right now, we would quit our jobs via text. <laughs> Best, Tim and Marissa. Oh, my God. That's a really funny way to say it. Quit my job over text. Okay, so this person sent me a really long email about their millionaire math. And and uh, let's see what happens here. Jen, all that millionaire math had me crunching the numbers on my takeout and coffee budget to see how much I really need to slice in order to achieve a four-digit number in my checking account. Then I googled Joe Blogan's $100 million Spotify deal and instantaneously nearly relapsed. Who in high hell decided he is worth $100 million? Christ on a carrot cake, that's who. Yeah, but here's the thing. You mean if we're putting a value, like in terms of like the quality that you enjoy, I mean, maybe to you, it's not even worth 50 cents, but he has enough people that listen to his podcast that it's worth it. I mean, he, he has the, like, it's, he's huge. He's one of the most influential people in America. He has the biggest fan base, tens of millions of people. I mean, he if we're talking about what he brings to the table for them and it's all we're just talking business, yeah. I mean, look, look worst case scenario, he's not worth $100 million. It's, it's still like 50 to $70 million. Like it's that he is the most, po- I mean, you might be like, I don't like it, but doesn't that, you know, I mean, he's one of the most popular podcasters, if not the, uh, in the world. That's just how it is. So, uh, Okay, so he goes on and says some mean things, and he writes, I'm sorry, but Joe Rogan is not funny. Like, dude, you are not an experience. You are clown shoes. Get it right. Soothing voice, though, so he gets a sticker for that. On the other side of the heteropatriarchy palooza that is comedy podcasting, we've got L.A.'s finest father, yod-looking motherfucker Jonathan Larroquette Jr., and failed actor never was Seth Romatelli of Haverhill, Mass., also an Emerson alum, and their listener-supported podcast, Uh Yeah Dude. Their Patreon boasts a $12,000 monthly haul from 2,738 patrons. They've been shopping it up in Seth's living room since 2006, and they didn't start a Patreon until maybe 2015. Okay. Okay, so he's going on and on. Jen, we've got to get you to the $12,000 a month mark minimum. We need to blow Joe Rogan out of the water. Well, it's never going to happen. Um, 
Or if he's going to keep interviewing people for three wretched hours per week, can't he give me that money? Give me that money, Joseph. Now, hear me out. I'm a 34-year-old restaurant industry escapee and recovering drug addict who lost their baller serving job from the COVID closure, COVID closure, Italian accent on COVID always. I can't help it. This guy is a kick. Hang on. Um, you do have a great writing style, dude. I, I'm skipping a lot of what you're saying because it's just, it's funny, but I can't say all these mean things about other people in my podcast. Um, but I recently landed a personal assistant gig for a cannabis company CEO. It's part-time and mostly involves me doing things like counting out and stacking $75,000 cash, which if you can believe it, fits into a small cardboard flat rate parcel box. Loading my car with said cash along with hundreds of pounds of marijuana also known as unidentified leafy green substance, according to the Homeland Security officer and Seattle FBI agent who literally stole from me and buying and selling that stanky danky weed all over Washington state with neither my pit bull nor pistol in tow. I'm basically a drug mule or drug mole, considering I'm five feet tall and barely 100 pounds. And don't get any ideas, people. Everything I do is state legal and legit. No prison for me. Anyway, my boss called me last night and asked me to be one of his partners in his new wholesale company. I registered the trademark with the Secretary of State immediately, crunched the numbers with him, and in a few months, I will indeed be a thousandaire. If I stick with it, keep willing and dealing, I just might make it. And I'll bump back up to the $15 a month subscription on your Patreon, Scout's Honor. And I'll buy a TV ad where I shit bash Joe Rogan, his ilk of overpaid, underworked thugs who are ruining most things for most people. Time's up, y'all. My time's up, because this is embarrassingly long. Carolyn. Oh, sorry. I don't know why I wrote at the top that it was a dude. Carolyn, you're a delight. Uh, yeah, guys, get me up to the $12,000 a month. I mean, let's do it. Um, this is more uh, other people complaining when people are dumb about their jobs. Jen, I teach English as a foreign language, so people always assume it's something I'm doing temporarily until I decide what I really want to do, settle down and get a proper job. Not only is it a great job that literally changes people's lives, but also students deserve experienced teachers rather than someone on a gap year who is not taking it seriously. I love it so much, and I can't think of many other jobs in which I would get to meet people from so many different backgrounds and cultures and learn about everything and laugh every day. Jess. Thank you, Jess. This is from Kevin. Now, I had an email. I had an email. I had an episode, 389, that you know as Benefer 2.0, you free audio podcast listeners. But the Patreons got their own special episode that week because I had an audio recording mishap. Um, so it was only available on the video version. And it was all about being Gen X. And so one of my Patreon subscribers wrote me an email. Kevin wanted to tell me what he loved about episode 389. Jen showing the Golden Girls clip from the episode about Rose and nuclear war, including Dorothy and Blanche's jokes in said episode, which was pure heaven. Jen defending the honor of Gen X throughout. Jen refusing to read the rest of an infuriating article about millennials because it actually described Gen X. Jen's washer and dryer noises, which were absurdly loud in this episode for some reason. Jen's story of the ATM trick and the voice she used for the person she was arguing with online. And yes, we Gen X do use Venmo for fuck's sake. Jen recording the whole thing, trashing the audio, and basically saying fuck it and posting the video for Patreons and coming up with a brilliant promotion for the Patreon at the same time. 
Jen's hilarious bit and self-reflection of the Any Fun Weekend Plans small talk question. Thank you, Kevin. This is from a listener who needs my help. Jen, legit question. When should I stop wearing my mask? I live in the shit show that is Ron DeSantis' Florida, so most of the businesses, etc., now have signs that say wearing a mask is strongly suggested if you're not vaccinated. I'm vaxxed and mentally ready to go back to normal, but it still feels weird to go maskless in this transition period. Notes. A, I'm not the person who would love to mask and stay in the rest of my life. I hate the fucking things, but I want to do it safe and right. B, I'm at the point now, since everyone I assume has easy access to the vaccine, that if you've chosen not to, then fuck off. C, I get that variants throw a monkey wrench and all this thoughts and fuck heat and humidity stuff. Steph, right now, as of now, the vaccines, especially the mRNA vaccines, which are the Moderna and, and Pfizer, they so far are effective against all the variants. If you are vaccinated and you come in contact with COVID in the air or someone with COVID, there is a chance that you could contract it. Most likely, if you did, you'd be asymptomatic. You may never know. Or if you did have symptoms, it would be like a common cold. The vaccines work by either we don't catch it at all, or if we got it, we just don't get severely ill or die. So most likely you are safe. Um, you probably are around a lot of people who aren't vaccinated if you go indoors. So I would say you're safe to take the mask off. But if you are worried about other people who might have COVID and you want to wear it to protect yourself, then wear it indoors, you know. Um, if you go to restaurants with friends, then I mean, you don't have to wear them, obviously. And, uh, you know, keep in mind if you go somewhere where you think there's a lot of people that have the cold and flu and you feel like wearing a mask to prevent that, do it. But I mean, technically, if you're vaccinated, that's kind of what the point of it is, right? Uh, if, if, a, if an establishment says you don't have to wear a mask, then you don't. I mean, I know Florida rules might be a little more lenient than the rest of America, but as far as I know, June 15th is going to be the, the date that um, businesses can kind of decide for themselves if they want to go maskless. Right now, I'm taking Pilates classes, and uh, we have to wear masks in class. So I don't have a choice. Um, I don't mind it because I'm not sure who's vaccinated and who's not. And people are going to be like breathing heavy, you know. Um, so there you go. So last week I mentioned something about, I don't even know, what one of my 9-11 stories where I was like, well, I can't believe that there wasn't like a safety plan for the burning buildings. And uh, this is from uh, Biddy. She says, Jen, I worked for Sony Music on 55th and Madison. I was the fire safety person for my floor. We were instructed that in New York City in a fire, you don't evacuate. The floor with the fire and two floors above the fire, they go down two floors below the fire down one stairwell while the firefighters go up the other. That's why 9-11 was so bad because like you said, lack of imagination. I wonder if they've changed that in the 20 years since. Well, I don't know. I highly, to be awesome, to be awesome, to be honest, I highly doubt it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Jen, you've asked for emails about how people react to our jobs. I'm getting a lot of teachers that have the same dumb assholes coming up to them. I'm so sorry. Uh, I teach writing at a two-year college in New Mexico. During my 30-year teaching career at colleges in three states, reactions from strangers when I tell them what I do basically boil down to these. If I tell them I teach English, most of them say, well, I'll be careful what I say around you. No, I'm not judging your grammar mistakes. I have much more reliable ways to figure out whether you are an idiot or not. Sometimes when I say I teach English, they assume I teach literature. I only sometimes do that. And they ask what my favorite book is, an impossible question for me to answer. More often, I will need to listen to a long explanation about what their favorite book is, or least favorite. Once, a mansplainer launched into a tirade about The Scarlet Letter, telling me that he had to read that book in high school and that it had no point to it. In what is probably my all-time best witty response, I said, if you don't get the point of a book, that meant it's about you. He didn't pay any attention to that comment, however, and just kept on talking. If I tell them I teach writing, however, they say, that must be difficult because these kids coming out of high school can't write anymore. This inevitably makes me curious to see an example of their writing when they finish high school. Most of the students I teach are not just out of high school anyway, but are people who have been in the workplace for some time. I seldom find it helpful to point this out. Sometimes when I say I teach writing, they assume I teach creative writing, fiction, or poetry, which is not what I do. Then they proceed to tell me about this terrific story or poem they wrote in high school or whatever, and how they could totally be a professional writer if they wanted to. I also get people who assume I want to be a professional creative writer, but that this job is the best I could manage. Ah, yes, the super annoying, completely unoriginal, and nearly always dead wrong if you can't do teach cliche. If I want to avoid such reactions as these, I tell them I teach at the college. This usually causes them to ask what I teach, in which case I get one of the previous responses depending on how I frame it. There is no way out. I also get questions about why I don't work at a university instead of the two-year college, like no one would want to work at such a place. There must be something wrong with me because I only teach at a community college. This is the most common reaction when I talk to people who work at universities, unfortunately. Like you, I have found that people are in their own little bubble and automatically react negatively to anything outside of it. So many people have the knee-jerk judgment, which is inevitably wrong. It is so rare to meet someone who shows curiosity and genuine interest in what you do. Just a basic question like, what is it like to work there? Or a comment like, tell me more about what you do is so refreshing. That's when I know I'm talking to an interesting person. I hope you hear about this from other teachers because my experience is not unique. Keep having no fun. Eric. And I love how Eric called someone a mansplainer. See, men who get all mad when I say that word, you can use that word too. This is someone who has uh, no kids. Jen, I recently discovered your podcast. I had no idea it was out there. Can't remember how I came across it, but it, I was definitely in a market for a new podcast since I can't really do much of anything right now. I'm recovering from a brain injury, and it fucking sucks with workers' comp, lawyers, doctors. I'm not going to get into everything of what has happened, but I have been dealing with this for six months now. By the way, take a concussion seriously. It's no joke. 
Sorry if my message doesn't make sense. Oh, no, I know. My dad had a brain thing happen and if so much, so much hassle from like physical to paperwork to anyway. I've been a fan of your comedy for some time now. Love your specials and got the chance to see you at the Helium Comedy Club a few years ago for the Just Keep Living tour. I don't know which helium it, it was. Could have been a Buffalo or a Philadelphia or or Portland, probably Portland. I've never been to a venue where you and two other people share a small table together. I made a joke saying, didn't realize we were on a double date. Ha ha. I guess that was only fun to me. Seriously, though, it was a cozy table. I felt like we could have been best friends for the night. But no, these people were not into it. That's totally fine. Other than that, you killed it. I love your humor and understand your point of view. Even though we don't agree on everything, that makes us who we are and love the difference between others. One thing I totally feel you with is the no kid thing. My husband and I have been together for 17 years and the never ending question of you have kids or how many kids do you want or don't worry, it's not too late. I have been frustrated with these comments for a long time. I want to scream and yell at people when this happens. Just I am capable of having a kid doesn't not just because I'm capable of having a kid doesn't mean I need or should want to reproduce. My husband and I are together because we love each other and we want a life together. That's it. At one point, someone tried to convince me I'm wrong and I should have a child for my husband. Yes, for my husband. Like, I don't matter in this. Even though it was a joint choice that we made together. This woman wanted to change my mind. It was a whole thing. And I've never been so pissed. Honestly, I'm not a fan of kids in general. They have nothing fun to say and I don't really want to spend any time with them. But I love being an aunt. It's like skipping the mom part and you get to be the cool grandma or something like that. Anyway, this email is long enough. I'm so glad I finally found your podcast and damn, I am so late to the party. Thank you again for your comedy and sharing your point of view. Best, Heather. Heather, hope your brain heals quickly. This is from someone who has figured out their millionaire situation. Jen, I've planned the amount I need to retire. It is about 2.6 to 3 million. The math goes like this. Take your annual income and times it by 20. That gives you a rough estimate for what you need to save. I listened to Alexa Von Tobel's radio show and that was her advice. She was great. She gave practical advice and helped people deal with debt. I learned a lot from her. I'd like to cover my bills and have time to raise animals and travel. I would also put money aside to donate Two causes close to my heart, just like I do now. It's fun to buy some cool new threads for myself from time to time, but it's also a thrill to give money to a cause and know you're doing some good in the world, something to counteract the crap. Love usually wins, but some financial backing doesn't hurt either. Peace, piles of money plus good causes equal fun. Sorry, I'm just sort of skipping around because it is a long emer. emer. Love listening to your podcast. What I love is how you work out why you feel a certain way about a topic and you get so articulate that it clears up my own thinking and makes me better at critical thinking, I think. Either I agree with you and appreciate all of the lines of reasoning or I might disagree, but I know clearly why I disagree. I appreciate that. I'm an omnivore and to counteract the industrial food industry, I raise my own food and I sell the extra. I have five acres and I raise two cows every year, a bunch of pigs, chickens, and a sheep for fiber. I have them all on pasture. I love sticking it to big agriculture. I do not buy chemicals, neither fertilizer nor herbicides or pesticides. I have healthy, tasty beef, pork, and eggs. I do it for both environmental and animal welfare reasons. My animals have a great life, then one bad day. 
The pastures are made healthier by having animals on them, but not too many animals, which is one problem with CAFOs, confined animal feeding operations. Between the manure and the light trampling, the pastures improve every year. The animals are healthy from having plenty of space and fresh food available that they were naturally meant to eat. Also, a cow can produce 500 pounds of beef, and they only eat plants. I think they're getting plenty of protein. That's for the dum-dums who ask vegetarians questions like, are you getting enough protein? Just like anything else, animals on land in moderation is healthy for both the land and the animal. Too many, not healthy for either. Two common myths about cows that are not true in small herds, but true in the CAFO situation, methane. A few cows eating grass produce less methane in a quantity that the environment can process. Water. A few animals drink some water, but in quantities not excessive. Again, it's about moderation. Industrializing our food system is what's ruining the environment, not the animal alone. People tend to shit where we eat, and we are shitting all over it with our industrial food system. My small farm is the antidote, albeit a tiny one, but it's what I can do for the good of the environment and the animals. And as it turns out, it's healthier meat for people because of the quality at the molecular level. Meat from grass-fed animals has less cholesterol, more omegas, and is better for you than grain-fed meat. Thanks for hanging in there on that farm rant. I could go on. That's how I'm no fun, talking endlessly about farming, but I love it. And it requires a lot of list-making, so I'm all set. Um, anyway, this started out to be about retirement, and that's how I'm working toward my retirement and what I plan to do with my time. Also, I think there are cigarettes in heaven, and we're already dead, so lungs won't matter. Lori. <laughs> Farmer and Gen Xer in Redmond, Oregon. Then I get another email a couple weeks later and I'm like, but someone's apologizing for something and I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then I love when you guys do this. Oh, you can all be as neurotic as me. Jen, oh boy. I just realized in my first email that I might have come off sounding like everyone should be an omnivore because it's not that bad for the environment if meat is raised in a natural environment. What I meant to say was, We all get to choose the way we eat, and that's great. Vegetarians are great, vegans, omnivores, locavores. My only point was that to be an omnivore means to think about it carefully, just like any responsible choice we humans get to make. And when one does make the choice to eat meat, here is what it looks like for me. I wanted to add a perspective, but not take away from the other perspectives. I don't think I made my point clearly, or at least it sounded like I was excluding other choices, and I should have made that clear. I am not arguing for people to be omnivores over other choices. Rather, I wanted to explain why I chose it. I'm proud of my efforts to raise healthy grass-fed meat. I also grow vegetables. I think meat should cost more because it is a tax on the environment, especially with more humans walking around. We should value it more than we do. But I'm also just one person in a mix of many, many others who make their own choices, and that's all great. Thanks. I'm dumb. Lori, Lori, I didn't think your email came off like that at all. And I 100%, like I agree with you 101%. You know, when I'm ranting and raving about the meat culture, I'm always talking about like the farming used for fast food restaurants that used to, you know, destroy rainforests and factory farm, you know, all that kind of stuff where, like you said, the industrialized food system. I'm not an animal rights vegetarian, uh, you know, and I, I really don't, I, I you're, your life and your farm sound idyllic. Um, I truly just, I know you weren't telling me to eat meat, but like I know for myself since I started, stopped eating meat so young that even like, so, so I guess what I'm saying is I stopped eating meat for one reason 
And then as I got older, I realized it just doesn't like jive with me for some reason. So even if it's like the most environmentally friendly meat, I'm just still not a fan. So it's just been interesting over the years how like when people ask me why I'm a vegetarian, I literally just go, I don't like meat. Um, which has actually really just, it works better for the people asking because they don't want to feel guilty about something they're doing or think I'm judging them. And I'm, I'm really not like, you know what I mean? And just, so that's why I totally understood your email. Like I totally got that you weren't judging, but I enjoyed the neurotic follow-up. Um, <laughs> it was very sweet. And I wish I had like your, um, I mean, in, in there's another life in my head where I'm like, oh my God, I'm totally raising my own cattle and doing all that. But I would just be terrible at that. Um, all right. I think we've come to the end of the listener email episode. I have a few straggling emails left over, but they'll make more sense as I plug them into different episodes. I just wanted to get the bulk of this giant pile of emails I had. Oh my God. I love when we all come together like this. I love hearing about your lives. Again, if you got more to say, I seem fun at gmail.com. I mean, maybe not the people that already wrote in. Give me a very, no, but you know, if you want to write me something, I seem fun at gmail.com about anything you've heard on this episode or any other episode. And until next week, we're all one. Take care of each other. Have fun. Oh.